Foul evil to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Warrior. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Lazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Lebel, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. Strap on your blade, you can follow me too. What is going on? Welcome. Hockey to hell and back, episode number... 125. Of course, I'm Brady Liebold coming at you from a very beautiful, but holy shit are the bugs bad here, Muskoka. I have never in my life had so many bug bites. They don't have bugs like this out in BC, let me tell you. Super grateful to live here though, I, I love Muskoka. That's the only complaint, the bugs. Thank you to Chad Charles Campbell, Hockey to Hell and Back, available on Spotify. Go check out the music video, too. There's a, there's a music video. And maybe more importantly, go check out the song, I Think He Knew. If you haven't heard that song, 
Uh, he wrote that one uh, prior to writing Hockey to Hell and Back, and it's uh, it's the story of the late Daniel Miner who passed away tragically of an overdose. Former Barry Colt in the Ontario Hockey League, and uh, yeah, they were friends, and just a, a very, very, very nice tribute. If you've never listened to it, also a music video that I'm in, go check it out on YouTube. I think he knew by Chad Charles Campbell. I got a couple things I'm going to say before we bring Tanner in here. Uh, we took a week off last week. I was in Thunder Bay, and let me tell you what what an opportunity. Just my heart was so full. I know Jenna was feeling the same. We're still feeling that way, just to be a small part of that week. And just a quick little description of what the Tournament of Hope is. It's you know, I can't, the words don't do it justice, but it was put on by Titus uh, and Jonathan up there in Thunder Bay. And they invited over 49 Indigenous uh, reserves uh, to, to one place. And we're talking some of the most northern places in Canada, uh, some of the hardest hit areas uh, by suicide and overdose. And, you know, they they brought everybody to one place and they had a hockey and broom ball tournament. I got to speak at the opening ceremonies and then I was on my way. But as soon as I finished, Titus was like, Hey, like next year you need to stick around for longer. Like I wanted to, but we just hadn't planned that way. And they had booked my flight home already. And, but we're really looking forward to getting, getting back there because what they're doing, I mean that you want to talk about changing the world, giving hope, shout out to Titus and Jonathan and all the team up there that made this past week happen. I had tears in my eyes so many times during the week, and I know Jenna did too. I know Titus did too. The, I know he had some time to reflect and, and feel proud, and he should because it was just a tremendous success. So I'm looking forward to getting back up there again next year. Thank you so much for bringing me out. Um, and, yeah, I'm off to Vancouver tomorrow morning. Uh, quick turnaround, just a couple days, get, a, get to speak for an insurance company I'm going to talk a little bit more about it at the end of the show. But yeah, hitting the road again. Super grateful to be able to do this. You know, when I started this podcast just over three years ago, I had zero belief in myself, zero belief that my story was actually going to be relatable and help people. I had serious doubts about myself. I had zero confidence. I talk about it all the time. I had zero money. I had zero opportunity. I had zero friends. And, you know, I took a chance and you know, created this podcast and this is where it all started. But if it wasn't for all of you who watch it and listen to it, and I know there's a lot of people that have been around from day one and to you guys, I'm so grateful. You just gave me a chance. A lot of you without knowing me and you listened and shared. And for that, you know, I'm so grateful because where I'm at today, like I still struggle. We're going to talk about that today, but my life, if you look at it, when I reflect at it, like, holy shit, what a turnaround. And yeah, it's been some hard work, but I owe a lot of people a big thank you. And it would take me all day, probably a year to do that because so many people have contributed in different ways. I'm just feeling extremely grateful. So, uh, but yeah, without further ado, um, let's bring in Tanner. Um, you know, I've kind of gotten to know Tanner a little bit over the last little while, probably not as much as I would like to and should to, but look forward to, to connecting with him more after this podcast. But I'm certainly a big supporter of his. You know, I was connected to him through, I believe, Elaine Sturk. She's like, you got to see this guy. Sent me his social media. And of course, I followed him right back and was inspired pretty quickly. And, you know, like, it takes an army. I've been saying that since day one. 
you know, of people to collectively come together to make a difference. And when I see other people step up and get vulnerable and share their stories with the hopes of helping others, like that's what we need. And yeah, just kind of blown away by it. He's a young buck too, which is for me exciting. You know, I, I didn't figure it out till I was what, 32 or something like that. So, you know, I got some years on him, 13, I think. But uh, yeah, it's just exciting to see someone with so much youth, like take it upon themselves. And, you know, I don't want to talk too much about his story, but he's going to be rollerblading across Alberta. We're going to talk about that too. I'm super pumped and have his back all the way. So without further ado from, fuck, I'm getting teary eyed already. You see, like I can't help it because that's how much gratitude I have in my heart just for life and, you know, for Tanner and just moves that are being made. We're changing the world. So from Calgary, Alberta, my buddy, Tanner Mortensen. Thanks for having me, Brady. What's up, buddy? Thank you so much. And I kind of wanted to chat beforehand, but I was like, man, let's just, let's just get this thing started and we'll talk on, on here. And, you know, my apologies, because I feel like this has been a long time coming but I'm a firm believer that things happen when they're supposed to happen. And I know that a lot has changed in your life kind of rapidly over the last little while, which has been exciting. And and we can hear all about that, but I feel like there's maybe no better time than now. And I also mentioned, we'll probably have to do a part two, three, four, somewhere down the road, but thank you so much for being here, man. Thanks for having me. This is uh, it's kind of a full circle moment for me. Um, I remember early 2021 that's kind of when I was really struggling with my stuff and I used to be a painter I worked for a painting company when I stopped playing hockey and that was kind of a self-identity crisis time in my life for myself not being involved with the game anymore and throughout the day I kind of started listening to podcasts just to kill the time and I remember your podcast popped up on my Spotify homepage, and it was the episode of Jesse Astles that you did and I remember when I was younger watching that road to the Memorial Cup with Jesse Astles in it and I'm like what the hell so I checked it out and I thought I was kind of the only person that had stuff like this going on as far as like mental health and relying on substances to cope with things and I listened to that episode and it kind of opened my eyes to a whole new world that's uh thanks for sharing that. That's a really cool story. I was actually just texting with Jesse. I'm going to meet up with him uh tomorrow, I think. Like as soon as I land when he gets off work. Literally, I was just texting before I hopped on here. And you didn't know that. So, you know, the world works in in kind of mysterious ways for sure, but you know, and and like that's great. And I think that going back to why I started this podcast in the first place was to to be just that because I felt the exact same way as you did, Tanner, and you know, like it, it, it the the reality is, you now know, after starting to share your story, just how many people out there, you know, feel that same way or going through similar things and feel that they're the only ones. And it's just so it's so not the case. But, you know, having these conversations, we can start to change that. Absolutely. No. And it really opens up your eyes. Right? I mean, especially during the times you you don't think you're doing enough or maybe you're slacking and you receive all these messages and people are reaching out to you and they may even be strangers telling you how one video or one thing you say may have helped them through their week or helped them on a day-to-day -day basis. So, you know, those, those positive messages for sure outweigh the negative ones. I'm sure you get too. I've definitely received my negative uh, comments and mentions I've gotten since I began, since I started doing this, sorry. 
Um, but no, those those positive messages are huge. Yeah, you know, and and let's let's focus on the positive. But yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Like, you know, we're putting both of us in, and let's just talk about you. You know, you take you you take a chance by putting yourself out there, right? And you know, and I, and say, similar to you, man, I I've had a few haters over the the last few years. More on, I find way more on TikTok than anywhere else. I don't know about you, yeah. but, I, but I think I think it's because there's little pipsqueaks on there. These little kids that know absolutely nothing. Uh, about anything and they're ignorant and you know i was probably like that when i was younger too but i didn't have tiktok and instagram because i'm like 36 almost right but it's so important to focus on the positive because when you get a message like that i mean it doesn't it just make you want to keep going when it's like hey man thanks for saving my life or thanks for helping me through my week like those are those are real and that's i think you know for me and i know i'm pretty sure that's why you got into this was to to be there for others to make a difference in this world no absolutely and even with the the stuff i kind of announced the other day as far as this rollerblading stuff those days where i'm not feeling 100 percent physically or mentally i remember being in a situation where Mentally, I wasn't okay every single day and physical pain is temporary, but that mental pain is definitely more long-term. So I always keep that in the back of my mind, but no, I, like I brushed on there earlier, just those positive messages and, you know, all that feedback and kind of those first couple of videos I put out there, it was definitely scary putting myself out there in a vulnerable situation, especially as a young guy who's still in university and, you know, I'm, I'm in an age and a day and age where a lot of my friends are still involved with that partying scene and that university culture and, you know, having to step away from drinking and doing that kind of lifestyle due to having a problem isn't very normal. Normally it's due to religious reasons or self-choice, but I'm probably one of the only ones I know around my age who have stopped or made it publicly known that they've stopped for having a problem. And, having people in your corner definitely makes it a lot easier and having those messages come in on those days. I'm not hundred percent because I'm sure you're in the same boat as me. We're doing all this stuff for other people, but we still have days too, where we feel like shit or we have days where it's tough to get out of bed in the morning and having that backing of people is definitely huge and it motivates me and it drives me more and more to do what I'm doing. Yeah. You said it, you said it so great there, man. And it, it's true though. There's days when, you know, very much like you, I, it's like, I don't want to get out of bed today. It's not that I don't want to. It's just sometimes my mind, it, it just races and everything feels so heavy. Like, holy shit. Sometimes it, it feels like I'm stuck in glue. I don't know if you can relate to that at all. But like, you know, I found that when I can and, and rollerblading has been huge for me my entire life. Right. Like I grew up in, in BC where we didn't have the outdoor rinks and all of that me and my buddies, we, we played roller hockey and I rollerbladed all over my town. And that was a huge component for my mental health, right? Like when I was out rollerblading for hours a day, I wasn't at home self-destructing even as a young boy, because that was, those were my tendencies, right? I was angry and all these things. So like, you know, when I, and people, I just want to kind of address this, like people that have listened to the show for a long time knew that I was supposed to rollerblade across Canada and, you know, and I had this plan and we had the whole route thing and then like COVID shut it down and we couldn't plan events. And then we were trying to replan it and, you know, now I have another baby on the way and it's just like, shit, I'm like 36 almost. And I, you know, I do have plans and I want to talk to you kind of about it after about how we can kind of work 
work your, what you're doing into something, you know, a little bit more like permanent that we can do in the future together. So I think you leading the way there and taking charge, like I couldn't be like more proud of you and happy and like have your back and support you a hundred percent of the way. Like now I told you, I'll probably come out there and try to get with skate with you for a day or something or whatever I can do. But why, why don't you tell people kind of your story and then we'll, we'll talk about the rollerblade and kind of what sparked the idea, but like who is Tanner Mortensen? Like what was your childhood like? And you know, your hockey and, and all those sort of things. And, you know, and then kind of where you're at today. And I, I just want to highlight too, like, fact that you're so young dude awesome like we need we need people your age in that space showing these others that hey man or hey girl like this isn't this isn't the way because a lot of those people who are your age right now tanner are gonna find out the hard way we see on tiktok you fuck around you find out and if you can be that voice and to show the younger generations and and your you know those people i think you're gonna make a huge difference but let's i'm gonna shut up let's hear about tanner mortensen man I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, so I was born and raised in Calgary, like you kind of said in that intro there for myself. Um, I played all my minor hockey here. I, I had a really good childhood. My mom and dad, they supported me with everything as far as school, um, funding for hockey. None of that stuff was really an issue. I didn't have to worry about problems with money. I was very fortunate that I was able to get that extra uh, skating lessons and all those extra things I needed to become a hockey player. Um, a big thing for me and my dad was I needed to learn how to skate before I could play hockey. So I ended up starting pretty late. I started second year novice, which isn't a very normal time frame for a Canadian boy to start playing hockey. Well, that's like that's like eight or nine, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I started pretty late. So um, like I said, I played my minor hockey all the way up in Calgary until my second year Bantam. And in Calgary, they have quadrant hockey. So you have community hockey all the way up until Bantam. And then Bantam, you try out for your quadrant, which is your part of the city. So you'll try out for Buffs, Royals, Northwest, whatever part of the city you live in. My first year, I ended up trying out just to kind of see where I was at. I knew I, kind of, I wasn't skillfully ready to play at that level, but I would think it was a good opportunity for me to see what it took to get to that level as far as, as a player. Um, so I got cut that first year and it, it, it obviously sucked just because that was my first time going through that process of being told, you know, you're not good enough. You know, this is what you need to work on. Um, but my parents ever since I was little instilled that, you know, prove people wrong type of mentality into me and, you know, show them why they made a mistake. So I kind of, took that by the horns all the way until I was done my midget, but um, went back second year Bantam, tried out, ended up making Bantam double A, and I kind of didn't touch on it, but leading up until that second year Bantam, I never played on the top team. I was always kind of a guy who was working my way from behind, and I was making Div 2, Div 3. I never made the top team. So that second year Bantam was a pretty cool opportunity for me because that was the first year I played with the best of the best in the city um played that year and that was kind of my first year going through that sitting on the bench um just because I was a guy who could have been up but I was still that step behind I was used to playing a lot and being that go-to guy and now I'm with the best in the city and I'm not that guy I'm kind of the bottom end guy so that was something different for me um and 
you know, the season went on, I had a couple minor injuries, sprained ankle, bone bruise, that kind of little stuff. And my dad and I had a lot of conversations about me moving away my second year Bantam and it didn't end up working out. And we kind of came up with the idea that me going to Notre Dame and Saskatchewan for grade 10 would be a really good opportunity for myself. And my dad's a former hound and my great uncle went there in 1930 or whatever. So hey, hey hold on, hold on. I got, I got to ask you, is, is that place haunted? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I've heard, sorry to cut you off in your story. I had to ask because anybody, any hockey player, especially from Western Canada have, have heard stories. So like I heard stories when I was in Swift Current playing and, it was like the legend of, of Notre Dame. So, uh, you know, I had to ask you. We don't need to get into the details, no, but I just, no. I, just had to, I just had to ask. I heard a couple of stories too. But uh, so, I, like I said, went to Notre Dame. My first year was in grade 10. I was 14 years old and moved away from home. Um, I kind of knew about their program growing up just because of dad. And I knew the hockey players that came out of there, like Rod Brendamore. He's coaching in the playoffs right now for carolina it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty iconic place right like it yeah, was yeah it's a big just, deal. just for people just for people like watching or listening it was essentially like the only academy around in western canada for the longest time now they're everywhere but it was like pretty prestigious to go there so it's cool like i love hearing this story sorry to cut you off again i just had to kind of put no it in perspective um speaking so out there, over it. went there in grade 10 14 years old um didn't know anybody. I knew of a couple guys from Calgary who were going just from going to the spring camps and stuff. Um, and, but going into that year, I kind of had my eyes set on making midget double A just because I knew that going to a program like Notre Dame, those guys are the best of the best and they're the best coming from wherever they're coming from. So I knew triple A was kind of out of reach at that time, but I thought playing double A would be, something I can make a reality and it actually worked out that way. My first year I played midget double A and, you know, coming from Alberta, it's you play Bantam and then you go to minor midget and it's only 15 year olds and you go to Saskatchewan and it's you're playing against the big farm boys from Southern Saskatchewan. So that was a really big adjustment for me. And I get asked a lot about that first time I moved away from home. And for me, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be just because I was very fortunate. I had three returners as my roommates and they made me feel like I belonged and they took me under their wing. And I love them. They, they they, they were awesome. And they, they kind of paved the road for me the first couple of weeks and helped me out as much as they could. And it was awesome. But once hockey tryouts start and school starts, you don't have time to think like you're so busy that, you don't have time to sit with your thoughts and be alone with your thoughts and you're always around people. So you don't really have that alone time. So I didn't, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, had that first year, I went really good. Um, made a lot of friendships and you go to Notre Dame and you make those friendships and they're not like any other friendship you make in any regular high school. I mean, one of my best friends lives in Newfoundland. One's from Rankin Inlet, where Jordan Tutu's from. Uh, Russians, Swiss guys, like they're from all over the place. So it's a really cool opportunity and experience to go there. Um, went back in grade 11, and I kind of had my sights set on playing on the bottom midget AAA team. They have 
two midget AAA teams there. The first is kind of the studs of the school, the guys who win their major junior drafts, NCAA commits, and that bottom team's more so for like grade 10 guys, maybe some late draft picks, but more of a developmental team. And I kind of had my eyes set on that bottom team and I thought I had a really good camp, really good trial. I ended up not making that bottom team, which was kind of the same as that first year Bantam. I, I went through that cut process again and being told, you know, you're not good enough. You need to do this. This is what you need to work on. And having a summer like I did, I thought I, I laid it all on the line and it just wasn't good enough. And I stress on it in a lot of my videos, you, you get older and you reflect and, I'm very grateful I got cut that year. I'm very grateful because the the chemistry in that room wasn't something I wanted to be a part of. And playing double A again, I got to hone in on my offensive abilities and I was thrown in a leadership role. I got to be assistant captain and I got to gain confidence with the puck and just, I got to develop as a player and become a better player. Um, and I wouldn't have been able to do that playing as a triple A that year. I would have been sitting on the bench and, not being able to you know become a better hockey player so played midget double a again that year and that's kind of when my mental health stuff started to i wouldn't say take over my life but started to kind of creep its way in um what what did that look like for you tanner like what can you give us an example of like what you maybe <clears throat> excuse me it was the first thing that you noticed where you were like, oh, like this is different or this is off or I don't feel great. Or was there like a, an incident that triggered it or a specific moment that you can reflect back to? Um, I mean, I, I did have an injury in my grade 11 year. I fractured the growth plate in my wrist in warm-up, actually. I fell during warm-up into the boards. And it's the worst. Yeah, just fluke accident. But um, no, I was just finding myself... I didn't have confidence just from getting cut that year. And I was finding myself getting really frustrated and angry and just little things would set me off and my roommates could vouch for me. I probably packed my bags five times that year saying, you know, fuck this. I'm going home. Like I'm sick of this shit. Um, just super pissed off. And I'm very lucky that growing up in Calgary, I have a relationship with Bob Wilkie. He coached me when yeah. I was, in minor hockey in Calgary and I did some on ice stuff with him throughout my childhood and then also he's got a mental health program for I got shout out I got mine I was actually at my I'm not even shitting you I was just before this call I was looking in my book hold on you can you can tell them about I'll be literally two seconds yeah, keep okay, talking about it. um but no I uh I started doing this program with Bob just because I knew that he has programs for athletes who are kind of going through some stuff and I thought maybe this was something that could separate separate me from other players there it is shout out to Bob he's the man um, yeah, he's been on the show too yeah he's yeah. a great guy yeah um started doing that program just to kind of separate myself from the other guys and maybe that was something I could use to my advantage and take that step the next year and play midget triple a um and lucky enough, that grade 11 year, I got to affiliate with the top team. I got called up for the Max Midget AAA tournament in Calgary. And uh, that that's was huge. Uh, yeah. And as a Calgary kid, that was a pretty cool thing because that was kind of my dad and I's tradition growing up every boxing day, go to the Max tournament and watch all the guys every 
every day throughout the tournament and I got to play in it. And I, and now dad gets to come watch you. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Even as a call up too. I mean, I wasn't just sitting on the bench. I was actually playing. I think that was the best stat line I had in my whole career, two points in three games. <laughs> but, um, so I got to play in that and that kind of opened my eyes a little bit. I'm like, Holy shit. You know, I'm, I'm playing against some of the best midget players in the world right now and I'm actually doing well. And I'm, I'm right up there with them. Like maybe this is something I can make happen. And I, uh, I kind of took it and ran with it. And I went back to ND that summer. I helped out with the hockey camps. I trained there throughout the summer for a couple of weeks and went back into camp. And that was probably the, the best camp I ever had. I was hitting, scoring, just, I've never felt more confident after a tryout. And we got down to the the wire, kind of figuring out what team you're going to be on. And these words will never leave my head. Um, the Midget Triple Hounds coach told me after the first three or four games, he had me on his team. But then we went to Swift Current for an exhibition game, and he doesn't know what happened. It was kind of like a completely different player out there. And I, I give hats off to that team because they ended up going on and winning a Telus Cup that year. Um, but with that being said, I was I was on that bottom team. I got that made that jump. I got to play midget trip away that year, and I was thrown in a leadership role. I was named captain that year, so it was kind uh, of uh, it was a win win. I mean, I got to play at that level I had wanted to play at for a couple of years, and there was also guys looking up at, up to me now. So it was a a big honor for myself and. You know, having my dad go there, I want to carry that name throughout that school proudly, and I wanted to do a good job. And obviously, I was uh, I was a leader around campus. I was a house leader in my grade twelve year in the grade twelve dorm. So, no, like like I said, it it was awesome, and I was really honored. And you, you would think that having all these accomplishments and accolades, and you know, uh, all these good things happening. It, it would feel like you're on top of the world but mm-hmm. as we know certain things happen and it kind of knocks you down a couple levels and that was my first big injury year I we were playing the hounds actually because the two Notre Dame teams battle it out and I blew out my knee I mm-hmm. partially tore my MCL partially tore my ACL partially tore my meniscus and that was kind of my first time going through those those procedures as far as, you know, rehab, long-term rehab, not more so uh, ankle sprain, but, you know, you've almost tore your whole knee. You know, you gotta, you got to do this. You're going to be out for a couple months. And I wasn't a rah-rah leader. I was a guy who, you know, I'd lead by example, do the little things. I was very shy in high school. I think if you were to ask high school me if he could see me doing this stuff now, he'd say, no fucking way that'd be possible. But um no it was, it was tough sitting in the stands watching my team play and like I said not being that vocal leader more of a lead by example guy it takes a toll on a guy especially a team who they don't win very many games a season it's a development team so that kind of ate away at me a little bit but um season ended and I uh, I came back towards the end of the year and I had as good of a year as I could have and um, it was, that was a, another, another thing too, with the mental stuff. Um, just my last year midget, not sure what's going to happen with junior not sure where I'm going to play. You know, there's camps. Am I going to be healthy for camp? 
um, just a lot of thoughts and I'm an overthinker too. So I play every scenario through my head and I sat down with the coach of the SJ team at Notre Dame at the time and he asked if I'd want to sign and I ended up signing with the SJ team, which that was one of my big goals when I was a kid growing up was I wanted to play junior A hockey and I accomplished it, accomplished it, sorry. And, you know, I'm very happy I did. It was something that, uh, yeah, there's a young buck. <laughs> mm. um, I'm very lucky I did. And, you know, I, I went and watched a lot of Okotoks Oilers games with my dad growing up in the AJ. And I remember watching those guys and just being mesmerized. Like, these guys are incredible. Um, and my family friends billeted for the Hitman and just thinking these junior guys are amazing. And I want to be just like these guys. And I got to do that. Like, I think that's the coolest thing. And, um, yeah, it was, it was incredible. And I remember going into that year, I actually lived in Wilcox that summer and I kind of skipped over it, but that was my grade 12 year. And leading up into my grade 12 and junior, I never drank not once I that didn't desire I had no desire to do that stuff I was very goal driven I knew I was at Notre Dame I wanted to play pro hockey at some point in my life I wanted to get a scholarship I wanted to play junior um, so none of that stuff really sparked interest for me I was very straight and narrow I knew why I was there and that first time I drank was my pre-grad party for my grade 12 grad and I remember just thinking what the hell? Like, this is crazy. This is awesome. Um, and being a guy who's shy and kept to myself and, you know, I had my group of friends and I wasn't willing to talk to people I didn't know. And it wasn't out of ignorance. It was more so I was just very shy. And looking back now, I honestly think I had some sort of social anxiety or something because I just would get so terrified talking to new people that I just wouldn't do it. And so that first time I drank, it was just all that's out the window, you know, a completely different person. And then we had our grad party, same thing. It was just like, well, why haven't been doing this the whole time with my buddies or other guys at the high school? Um, so I started playing junior and went into camp. And obviously having that injury I had the year before, I had a lot to make up for, for missing that much time through the season. And first game of the season, blew up my other knee. So exact same thing, just on the other side. So now I'm, you know, going through, oh, I have to do this all over again. I remember how long it took last time to come back, you know, and now I'm playing junior and there's booze. So maybe this is something that I can use to take my mind off things. And I know How old are you? This is your 18-year-old year? Yeah, I would have been 17 turning 18. Yeah, okay. so this would have been my first year junior. Um, and I just remember, you know, how good it made me feel when I did it the times prior to my first year junior and I'm like, well, maybe this is something I should experiment with. So I started drinking a little bit, um, just kind of having fun. I didn't really think anything of it at that time. Um, yeah. It obviously isn't at the magnitude as it gets once we get going here, but um, you look back and reflect and obviously that's kind of a sign of when things were going to start to go downhill for me. Um, let, back let, me let me hop in for a sec. I want to ask you something, just like those first experiences of you drinking, like, yeah, 
super important to highlight that it, it made you feel good, especially because you're shy and it brings out, you know, it, it lowers every, it lowers our inhibitions, right? Like it, it really does. And um, <clears throat> I want to talk kind of like about the grad parties. Maybe we can talk about that after. But what was your experience the first time you drank other than it feeling good? Like, was it, were you the one staying up all night drinking till there's every last drop? Did like reflecting back now, looking back at it, were you like a little bit more than most guys? Like looking back, you could see like, yeah, there's some problems starting back then. Or were you just sort of just like everybody else and had it under control? You know, and I didn't really touch on it, but my dad used to drink. So always in the back of my mind, he'd always tell me stuff, you know, just be careful, watch. And I've learned a lot of stuff since I started doing this. And obviously genetics plays a role in things, but um, those two cents always just kind of was ingrained in my head. And, you know, being that 17 year old, I'm, you know, dad, whatever, like, I'm good. Don't worry. I'm going to be fine. And the first two times, I guess you could say, I was just, it was like a binge. It was just like, everything everything i pushed off or to the side throughout my whole high school journey i just took it on that one night just doing doing stuff i normally wouldn't do like i was smoking cigarettes that first night i ever drank just doing stupid shit i wouldn't normally do um welcome to the life of alcohol <laughs> yeah, no exactly and you know i remember waking up after that first time i drank the next morning i'm just like holy shit this is like, I don't, I don't know what happened really. Like, and you got a lot of anxiety cause you don't know what happened and you know, you remember certain things, but then you don't remember things and people tell you about those things you don't remember. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, it doesn't even sound like me. And then I did it all over again for that grad party. And it was just the same thing, more so of a binge just, and I, you know what, Brady, I think about it too. And I think a lot of it during that time, I thought it was, you know, I'm never going to see some of these people again, just being at Notre Dame. And, you know, I, I want to enjoy this moment because we've been together for three or four years. And, you know, some of these people, they're going to go away or go back to where they've come from or their hometowns. And I'm not going to have the opportunity to go out there and see them. So I want to, I want to enjoy it and have fun and, no, I think it was just a lot of, a lot of just, you know what, let's take it all on at once because I pushed it away during my high school journey for so long that let's just have a big bash the last weekend all together and, you know, just enjoy every moment of it. And obviously now I look back and it wasn't that. It was, it was the beginning of my dance with the devil. But um, yeah, I hope that kind of answers your question a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I just want to, ho- I'm going to hop into this right right now because I've been thinking about this a lot and, you know, I kind of talk about it a little bit when I'm, when I'm, when I'm out there doing speeches and different things, but like grad weekend, holy shit, man. Like I went hard on my grad weekend too, Tanner. And it was like the first like bit, like actually when I left Swift Current, it was like the three, four days in a row and I drank for the first time. And it was like, that was the first like experience with that and knew that I was like, holy shit, like this, I might have a problem, but I was never willing to admit it. But I think back to that culture of drinking 
through our childhood, just the way of the world, not just you and I, like everybody. And, and it's that mentality of like getting drunk on the weekends and like how acceptable alcohol just is because a lot of us grow up and, you know, parents are drinking or we're watching hockey games and like every second commercial is like alcohol. If it's not that it's gambling, you know, like, and, and it's all sort of this normalized behavior, but underneath it all, like shit, it's poison. Like you're poisoning your body. It is so horrible. Like, look what it does. Look at it. it lowers our inhibitions. So many horrible decisions are made from alcohol. It tears more families apart than than any of the other drugs. May not be as lethal now with fentanyl, but I'm telling you, because more people just think, oh, it's alcohol, it's legal, it's no big, it's not that big of an issue. And kids grow up thinking like, hey, it's not that bad, but it it, it is that bad. And for parents. I'd be very mindful about buying your kids underage alcohol and, and encouraging this behavior right around graduation time because this is where it starts for a lot of people is that grad weekend. Just like you're hearing Tanner, mine was very much the same and so many, so many, so many others. So parents and young people, if you're watching or listening, seriously think about it and monitor you know, your loved one's behavior and your own for that matter. Um, because you're going to hear, you know, this is just the beginning of Tanner's story. We're going to get into it more, but it, nobody ever like starts wanting it to end that way. It's always fun, right? It's always with a group and it's always seems like it's not that big of a deal. And then, you know, one day you're like, look in the mirror and you don't even know who the hell you are anymore, but yeah, please continue with the story. Yeah. Um, so I think I was talking about my second injury, but Blew out my left knee, first game of the season, my rookie year. Um, kind of went through all that rehab stuff all over again. I went through my last year in midget, and then now I'm around boost. So I was I was having a little bit more fun than I thought I should have. Um, but I, at that time, you know, I didn't think it was self-destructive reasons. I thought it was just, you know, it was something to take my mind off things. There's only so much you can do in the gym and shoot as many pucks as you can while you have one leg. So um, during that time, that's kind of what I thought it was. Um, ended up coming back from that injury and we were playing against Humboldt in Humboldt and I got hit along the boards and my head hit the glass. And I just remember everything went black and green and, you know, stars. And I don't remember if I fell or not, but I, I somehow got to the bench and, all I remember was going back on for the next period. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to stay in this game because I've missed however much time from my first injury this season. I need to establish myself in this roster. Um, and the coach we had at this time, it wasn't the coach I signed with. So I haven't even established that relationship with my coach. So I, I needed to make a name for myself and to stick on that roster and the deadlines coming up. And I touched on it earlier. I'm an overthinker. So it's just a spinning wheel in my head whenever stuff, whenever bad things happen. Um, so I, I had full intentions on finishing that game. And if it wasn't for my trainer, who I thank God she didn't let me finish the game. Um, I was kind of bambi legs in front of her heading on for the next period. And she pulled me and, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful she did because there is life after hockey and I'm sure you know that too now and you don't really realize it until you're out of the game. Um, 
and brain injuries aren't something to joke around with, especially um, just because you can't repair this. I mean, you can repair a, a knee as best as you can and it'll be as functioning as it can be. But once your brain is done, she's done. So, I mean, yeah. it's... Tanner uh, man is somebody that lives with a lot of those symptoms at almost 36 because that was the culture when I played certainly in the Western league and pro and, you know, to your point, I was on the, uh, I was on the phone with somebody earlier today. Uh, we were talking about actually a guy I played with um, in one of the years that I was playing. I won't, don't want to say where or anything like that, but this, this guy's really struggling. And what we were talking about, I was telling this, this lady today just about the concussions that this guy had sustained. I'd never seen anybody that concussed in my life. Like, like he wasn't knocked unconscious, but I've never seen anybody have the lights on, but nobody's home quite like that. And it wasn't just once. It was like two or three really bad concussions all in one year. And now he's like essentially homeless and he's really been struggling with drugs and alcohol. And, you know, I, I wonder how much of, of that, you know, the concussions really have to, to play a part with, you know, uh, drug addiction and, and mental health issues. Like I, I, I know it does, right. You look at the history. And so just to echo your words, it's not something to play around with. And I think that is a big part in the hockey culture is playing through that injury. And especially if you're in a situation like you were, where it's like, you're trying to stay in the lineup. You're just coming back from an injury. You don't want to miss anymore. You can't, you feel like you can't afford to miss another game because you're trying to get in the lineup, whatever. But at the end of the day, Yes, our brains are so much more important than any hockey career. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, no worries. Um, and once that once that injury happened, I mean, that's kind of when I was like, "Holy shit! Like, what else can happen to me?" You know, like I've had all these things happen in the past eight nine months. Um, so that was kind of when I had a lot of alone time, and I. I moved out of my room with two or three other guys and I moved into a solo room in the dorm at Notre Dame. And I was, I was destructing. I wasn't drinking to have fun anymore. I was numbing myself. Um, just, just all the feelings inside, you know, I felt almost hopeless because it was just, it was just a reoccurring cycle. Like, Holy shit. When am I going to get hurt again? You know, what's going to happen next? Um, and I was just so down and I wanted to play hockey so bad that I'm not condoning this, but it got to a point where I was cheating on my concussion tests and mm. taking pictures of the screen and writing words down because that's how bad I wanted to play. And I couldn't beat my baseline. Like I just couldn't beat it. Um, and like I said, not condoning that, that's just the reality of it. And that's how bad I was struggling because I wanted to play hockey so bad. Um, Anyways, I came back from that injury and, you know, we had a neutral site game against Battleford and I kind of butt heads with Battleford that season a little bit. I fought one of the two brothers on that team. So we kind of had a lot of tension that season with uh, the North Stars. But that, is, is any of those them? No, no, none of those. No, I don't have that one. I don't know where it is, but uh, um, we had a neutral site game in Gull Lake. I think it's close to Swift Current, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had a neutral site game there and blew out my knee for my grade 12 year again. And it was just like, holy shit, am I going to get struck by lightning? Like, what else could possibly happen? And I just remember 
I knew I knew my knee was fucked. Like I knew I was done for the year just because it was it was around February or March, and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to come back from this this season. Um, and I remember going into the hallway, and we're in some little community, and I just snapped, like just lost my shit. Like it, everything just boiled over from the whole season. Just the crock pot opened up, and it was just overflowing. Um, breaking sticks, throwing helmets, just, and there's little kids standing in the hallway and I just, just couldn't control myself. Like I lost my mind. And, um, that was, that was some really dark times. And I remember just, I was drinking every day in my room, um, by myself with my buddies. It didn't matter. Like I was drinking every single day. And I remember it got to a point where I had a, meeting with my coach and it wasn't obviously about my booze because I wasn't willing to put myself in a vulnerable spot like that to talk about that issue. But I, I told him, you know, I, I got to get out of here. Like I can't keep watching hockey. I need a little break. I've watched so much hockey the past season and a half. Like I'm going to lose my mind, especially at Wilcox. I mean, there's not much to do and there's only so many workouts and pucks you can shoot. So I needed to get out of there for a bit. I came home. Um, I was working for dad for a little bit. Nothing changed. I was still drinking, but I, I was a guy who, if I had shit to do, I'd drink, but I'd still get my shit done. Like I'd wake up at seven. If I had to wake up at seven, go to work, I'd still do my thing. And I was very good at hiding it and putting on a mask. Um, so I'd work with dad and you know I'd go out at night or I'd be at home in my room and mom and dad are in bed and okay, let's get shit faced now, that type of thing. Um, went back for my team's playoffs, didn't stop, didn't shut it down. I just kept going the whole time I was there and drinking beers before my team's games just to be able to go and watch that kind of stuff just because it was, it was, it's sad watching your team play and you feel hopeless because there is only so much you can do. And, you know, once you're at that point, you can't do anything else. So, that was the mindset I was in. Let's just get drunk and erase all those feelings. Um, ended that season, and I uh, I had full intentions in going up, going back to ND just because I I didn't think I had a first year of junior. It was just it was a train wreck, I guess you could say. Just I didn't get to play. I was hurt all year. It was just a mess. Um, and then July kind of rolled around and. I was supposed to play, I'm not going to name the team. I was supposed to play in BC my first year and some stuff happened with their coaching staff and he ended up becoming an advisor and I actually, he was my advisor. So he brought me onto his team and he, uh, I was talking to him and I just decided, I think it's time for me to get out of Notre Dame and try something new and experience something new. And I ended up asking for a trade and, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for Jason Tatarnik. Um, he's coaching for Astavan right now. He got me out to merit in the BCHL. And after the season I just had, I had a lot of self-doubt going into that year just because going from the SJ to the BC, that's quite a difference in hockey, um, especially coming off a season I just had. I had a lot of confidence issues and I didn't think I deserved to be there and I didn't think I deserved to be in a league like that and I wasn't a player like that I was a 
meat and potatoes guy and there's a lot of glamour you know a razzle dazzle in the bchl and that's not my style um and i went out there and that was my first experience billeting because i'd been in a dorm for four years at this point um so i never went through that living with a new family or anything like that so um that was a different thing for me and a little bit of an adjustment just i'm so used to being on my own and now i'm kind of living with my parents but they're not my parents yeah uh, it's a little odd um my billets are amazing i actually just stayed with them a couple weeks ago i went back to merit to talk so nice seeing them again but uh no i i went into that season and i knew i had a lot to prove just because i I miss so much hockey and I'm coming to the BCHL and I'm, I'm not a BCHL player in any way, shape or form. So I know that I have a lot to prove. And I think I went out once the whole summer just because I was so back on track, I guess you could say. And I had my goals back in sight that, you know, this is what I wanted to do and I'm going to make it happen. And long story short, um, I had a little bit of a fluke accident practice with one of my knees, so just a little, just a little tweak, nothing yeah. major like the season before, but um, it did happen. Something, just a little sprain, nothing crazy, and some stuff happened behind the scenes, and our coach ended up getting fired, and um, I ended up leaving. I they had some concerns about my injuries and. My mind frame was, you know, I, I don't want to play for someone who has question marks about me as a player. So I'll go play somewhere where they want me to play and are for sure 100% all in for me. Um, ended up leaving. I went out to Manitoba in Swan Valley. That was Brady probably the first dark time, like super, super dark time. Um, Is there anything that brought that on? You know, I think it was just... I saw how well I was doing in BC and then it kind of just got taken away, I guess you could say. And obviously it was out of my control, but just seeing I could have been there and I wasn't there. And now I'm kind of back into the Western, the deep West, I guess you could say the, the dark set, the deep, deep West, um, the wild, wild West as yeah. far as in the MJ, but um, having to readjust again. I mean, that was my second team in a month, month and a half, and having to live with a new billet, different province, different team, different coaching staff. Um, yeah, it's a lot, right? It, a lot to take in. A lot. Yeah. It's a lot to take in, especially for somebody who this is their first experience billeting, and I'm so used to you know, doing things on my own and having that community sort of family oriented program at Notre Dame and now I'm kind of you know I have a family but it's not the same type of thing yeah. um and I, it was just a lot of alone time in Manitoba um my coach was super awesome there and that they had a really good team there that season they're really good but I found myself not really knowing where I fit in the lineup I I was in and then I was out and then I was first line and fourth line and then second line then I get scratched and it was just like I don't really know what's going on here and it wasn't I'm expecting this and I'm not getting this it was just I'm genuinely don't know what's expected of me as a player at this point um and our coach had check-in meetings with us and I remember 
just asked how it's been going since I've been in Swan and I just told him, you know, it's, it hasn't been great. It's, it's kind of sucked for me. Um, I'm just, I'm struggling as far as knowing what you want me to do as a player. Um, I'm in and I'm out and it's not a, I'm demanding this or I want this, or I think I'm this, but I'm not. It just, I, I didn't know. And I was curious to know. Um, so we had a road trip and we went out to Winkler and Portage for a weekend and first game I got scratched. Second game I scored third game I fought. So I had a super awesome weekend. Um, came back after a road trip. We talked about touching base once we got back and we touched base when we got back to Swan and, you know, he, he informed me that we were going to get two guys back from the Nall that were 20 and they actually played in Swan the season before. And, I respect the hell out of them for being super open and honest with me because I've heard a lot of guys who haven't had the luxury of coaches being super like honest with me. So I'm very grateful for that. But um, he told me, you know, I'm not going to get rid of you unless you want to go somewhere, but I know you need to play and I can't promise you that you're going to be in every single night. So like I said, if, if you want to go, I'm more than happy to help you, but I'm not going to get rid of you unless you want me to. And at that point, I'm just like, you know, I need to play. Like, I want to be in every night. I don't care, like, what what kind of team I'm on. I just want to play. Like, I want to play every single night. I can play fourth line. I could play six shifts a game. I don't care. I just want to be on the bench, in the lineup, not sitting in the stands. So um, I tried to go back to Notre Dame. Um, I was just uncomfortable. I, I didn't want to have to live with a new billet. I didn't want to have to move to a new province you know, get acclimated to a new team, system, town, all that kind of stuff. I just wanted to go to what I was familiar with and it didn't work out. They had too many bodies and I was actually staying at my grandparents during this time and I called a couple teams and nothing, didn't hear back from anybody and the deadline was kind of approaching the December deadline and I remember my buddy I went to high school with called me and he's like, Hey, our coach is interested in you. And I'm like, fuck. Cause it was in the Maritimes. And you're a Western Canada guy and you hear going to the Maritimes. It's kind of where careers go to die. I guess you could say that's kind of the rumor mill. And I just remember thinking, oh, fuck, I don't want to go out there. Like I do not want to go out there, but you know, my options are slim pickings at this point. It's almost the December deadline. Like I kind of got to take what I can get. So I ended up going out there and honestly, it was a super cool opportunity. It was uh, the league itself was not what I expected. You hear a lot of bad things about that league as far as skill wise. And I think it's a super good league. I think it's super underrated. There's a lot of skilled little French guys out there that play there. So I mean, it was it was still a tough game for me. Just I thought it was it was awesome and fast pace and um, but then again, the other side of things, I had to readjust again. I'm on a four hour time change from home. I'm living in a new province again. I'm having a new system, new coaching staff, new teammates, new billets. I have to go through this all over again, and it's the third, fourth, fifth time going through this in one season. Um, ended up 
moving into my full-time billets after Christmas. And I remember, you know, it was, it, it was tough. I had a lot of just, I think, reflecting on everything that happened that season, as far as, you know, hearing things like, you know, you're not going to be in, you're not this, you're not good enough. You were worried about this, just kind of getting downplayed. And then, obviously i just i wasn't okay i just i was struggling and having to move around as much as i did and you know ending relationships with teammates having to start new ones it, it's it's shitty and it sucks and um a lot of alone time in nova scotia just because i didn't have a vehicle i was at home 99 percent of the time and the other one percent i was at the rink and it got to a point where I was a guy who was very hockey, hockey, hockey. I won't drink the night before a hockey game. And out east, it was, I don't give a fuck. Like, I'm playing with guys who are, we just lost 13-1 to Campbellton, and they're drinking on the bus ride back to Berwick. So why should I care? That type of negative mindset. Um, and I was doing it too. I mean, I'd be at home on a Monday night drinking two bottles of wine and then stealing my Bill Dad's beers out of the fridge just to numb numb myself and take my mind off things and to kind of just push down everything that happened that season and um, finish that year out. We weren't a great team, but I think we really built a culture for that team for the following couple of seasons because they've been actually pretty lights out the last couple of years, which is awesome. Um, but after that year, I was pretty much over it. And that after that year-end meeting with my coach, I kind of felt like I owed him to come back the following season just because he brought me in when he didn't have to. So I kind of felt like I owed him something for doing that for me. And I was too scared to tell him, like, dude, I'm fucking done. Like, <laughs> this year was hell for me. It was just way too much, and I'm not doing well. Um, Did you tell anybody? that you weren't doing well? Like, did your, your family know, like, did anybody uh, know? I think a lot of people, I think they knew I was frustrated just as far as having to move around as much as I did and having to, you know, restart somewhere new. And when I got to Nova Scotia, like I didn't even unpack all my suitcases really. Like I kind of left everything packed up just cause I thought it's going to happen again. So why should I unpack my shit? Um, but I was very good at hiding and putting on a mask and, yeah. you know, trying to, trying to hide that, that drinking because I didn't want to be labeled as a shithead or a troublemaker and have that come back to the team and be a reflection of my character just because of habits I have. I didn't want that to get back to people it shouldn't get back to. So I was very good at kind of hiding it, which isn't something to be proud of, but it's just yeah. the way it was. Um, and like, like you asked, I mean, I think my parents were just, they knew I was frustrated just having to move around as much as I did and having the summer going into that season, I had how like focused and dedicated and determined I was that summer. I think they felt like I, I kind of got let down a little bit. Um, but I mean, like I touched on when I was talking about my childhood, like there was plenty of opportunities for me to reach out to my mom and dad and tell them what was going on and, you know, confiding in them and letting them know like, Hey, this is what's going on. But I just wasn't willing to be vulnerable and having a dad who 
had a drinking problem for however long and he's been sober for 20 years. That's not something you want to come forward to your father about who's living proof of, you know, this is what happened to me. It can happen to you. Um, and I didn't want to be that guy who might be a letdown or embarrassment to my parents. So I wasn't, I wasn't willing to put myself in those vulnerable situations. And, um, like I said, I told my coach I'd come back, even though I, I didn't want to. And I, I felt like I owed it to him and a few months go by and fast forward a little bit. And I ended up calling him and asking him if he could trade me back out West somewhere closer to home. Cause I haven't been close to home since I was 14. Um, and at that time, I, I think it was just, I need to be close to home. I just can't, I can't move around again. As long as I'm close to home, like I'll, I'll be okay. Um, talked to two teams. One was in Ontario. One was in Northern Alberta. It didn't work out. And that's kind of when I decided that I'm just going to stay home and play junior B and have fun with my buddies and party and get fucked up every weekend. And that's how like twisted I was just because I, I, it was taking over my life. Like it, it seriously was taking over my life. Like that was more important to me than actually wanting to reach those goals I had as a kid is playing college hockey, playing pro hockey. Like that was just kind of on the back burner now. And I was working a job at this point, making seriously good money for a 19 year old. I would made five figures in four months cutting cement. Like it was a super good gig and, it was hard work, but my buddy and I, we'd travel across Western Canada doing this together and we'd work all day and then go get fucked up all night and then wake up the next morning and go work all day. And I had, uh, I had talked to Jason Tatarnik um, after I asked out from out East cause he had actually got hired in Esteban. And he told me that he was going to get rid of all his twenties at the deadline, just because they were hosting Centennial the following season. So they kind of wanted to build the team for that. Um, so that was kind of out the window too. And at this point I, I was going through an identity crisis just because I knew I had one season left. I just couldn't, I, I couldn't play at the level I wanted to play at. Like it just, there was no options for me anymore. Um, and partying and drinking and, you know, going out with my buddies and getting fucked up and numbing myself was way more important than those goals I had as a kid. And I, uh, I drank all summer, I think from March to the end of summer, I took maybe one week off that whole time. And this was the beginning of COVID too. So it was a lot of alone time and a lot of reflecting and thinking and when you're considered an essential worker during a time like that, there's, there's a lot of time to yourself and you you do have the resource of gaining income and being able to fund your issue. Um, and there was probably a week left in August and I got a phone call from Jason asking if I'd come out to Esteban and play if they brought me in. And I obviously didn't tell him what I had been doing all summer. I told him that I, you know, I hadn't skated or worked out because I wasn't planning on playing competitive hockey. And he told me we're having extending training camp and that's why we're having it. There's a lot of guys in the same boat. So I, I ended up going and 
if I could have started my junior career there, I would have just because the, the way that town loves their players and my billets, the BD family, they'll always hold a special place in my heart. And my coaches, coach Phil and Tarts, they, uh, I wish I could have played for them for my whole junior career, just because I was there for such a short amount of time. And it was such a weird, weird state the world was in during that time. Um, I thought they handled, handled it super well. Um, obviously not getting to play very many games, only getting to play four games that season. It sucks, especially as a 20 year old. Um, and those thoughts did creep in again, like, fuck, what's going to happen next year? Like, cause I was actually playing again and I'm like, fuck, I can make this happen again. Like those goals are kind of back on track again. And I was drinking still, but I don't think it was numbing anymore. It was just kind of enjoying the moment i'm back on a team i'm not i'm not doing this to harm myself or to numb myself i'm just doing it socially to have fun and i touched on it we got shut down and got sent home in november and back to that alone time back to that revolving door that that spinning wheel in your head you know what what the fuck's gonna happen 20 like am I gonna get a scholarship am I gonna go to school like what's gonna happen I'm not sure and no one knows when if we're gonna play again either so it's a lot of just question marks and that's on nobody I'm not putting that on anybody because it's such a weird state the time or state of time the world was in but it was February at this point and I still didn't know and at that time I just decided you know what I'm I can't do this anymore. It's eat me alive. And I called tarts and I remember I called them in the mall parking lot and I was shitting my pants just because this guy, I wanted to play for this guy my whole, ever since I was in grade 11. Like I, I looked up to this guy so much and he went to Notre Dame with my dad so that there's that relationship too. And I remember calling him, just telling him, you know, I, I can't keep doing this. Like, I can't keep sitting here and losing my marbles. Like, it's it sucks, especially as a 20-year-old. And I told him, I'm like, this isn't a reflection on you guys. Like, I, you guys are doing everything you can to let us play. But even if we play, like, I'm checked out. Like, I can't do this. Um, and he was super awesome about it. And I'm, I'm really grateful that he took it the way he did. And he told me he completely understands and he sees where I'm coming from and that, you know, it is, it does suck because none of us have gone through something like this pandemic before. So there's a lot of question marks and uncertainties and it's pretty wishy washy with the different provincial um, regulations as far as COVID tests and all that kind of stuff. So um, he was super good about that. And that's kind of when it was over and, I went through that real identity crisis and, you know, I was out of the game and I didn't know what I was going to do and I wasn't going to go to school, but then it's like, I've worked my whole life to play hockey and now it's done. And it's just like, holy shit, you know? And after I called tarts too, like, I remember I was such a team guy. Like I, I do anything for any of my teammates. I get punched in the face for any of my guys and, walking out on my team like that, I felt like the biggest piece of shit ever just because I was that guy who would stick up for my teammates and play that tough, hard-nosed game and, you know, taking that step back and 
step away from myself, I felt like a piece of shit and I felt like a letdown and I felt like I was leaving those guys out to dry in that dressing room. So that ate away at me for a long time too. Um, and they ended up not going forward and playing that season in the estuary, which I mean, bigger picture, obviously that's good with all, everything that happened with COVID, but um, yeah, started my university journey and I had my last night I ever went out. I went out with a couple of my buddies and I was supposed to go out for supper and one thing led to another and I was out till six o'clock in the morning and I, uh, I woke up the next morning and just, you know, my, my ex-girlfriend had been calling my sister asking her where I was and stuff and I kind of knew that it was time to fucking smarten up a little bit because it wasn't just harming me but it was also harming people around me and I didn't really touch on it but once I got sent home from Estevan and I kind of started working um before going into university my big thing was I wanted to control my booze that was my thing I thought that I oh I'll be able to control this I'll be able to go out and have two or three beers and you know I'll be good to go the next day I'm not like that I'm not a guy that can go out and have two or three beers. It's one or a thousand. There's no, no in between. And I, uh, I had a couple conversations with my mom and dad. I got to a point where I told them, I talked to my mom. I did it individually. I talked to my mom, told her what was going on. And then I talked to my dad and they were both super awesome about it and super supportive. And my mom, she wanted to do anything she can to find something that would work for me as far as a resource to talk to. And my dad definitely let me in, led me some, lent me some insight as far as his journey in sobriety and kind of what worked for him and what didn't work and told me kind of the ins and outs a little bit of it, I guess you could say, and what worked for him. So that was super beneficial for me. And I think I talked to four different people during that time just because I wanted to try something and I didn't think that the people I were talking I was talking to could relate to me like I I understand they could they could get the book side of things but when I started talking about hockey it'd be like he has five eyes like I have no fucking idea what he's talking about so um I didn't like therapy and it was COVID too so it was a super weird time and yeah you know, there was singular AA stuff. I did that. And then one day it was just like, fuck, why don't I talk to Bob? Yeah. Why have I been pushing this off for so long? So I did a couple meetings with Bob and I uh, told him, I just want to have control of this. This is kind of what I want to do. And it wasn't something I did. Oh, I'm doing Tuesday and Thursday with Bob every single week. It was kind of when I seen the, the tower was going to tip a little bit. That's when I'd book a meeting with Bob or if I wasn't feeling a hundred percent, that's when I talked to Bob and um, I was pretty steady. And then that last night I talked about there a little earlier happened and everything just kind of came together. And I'm like, fuck man, you can't have two, three beers. You're a 24 guy. Like you just can't do it and it's not worth it anymore. So that's kind of my journey and now I'm coaching and that's something I never thought I'd get back into doing. And for the longest time I kind of resented hockey ever since I stopped playing it just because of the way everything went for myself. And, mm -hmm. you know, now I, I'm actually very, very much enjoying it, giving back and teaching kids things that they wouldn't teach it from a normal coach and 
being not that far out of the game, I, I still kind of have some insight as to how, how the game works now. Um, so I think that's super beneficial. And then obviously I've started doing this social media, TikTok, Instagram stuff, which has been awesome. And that's how I've connected with you and Elaine yeah. and Deej and Polly and all those people. So no, that's pretty much my story, man. Well, listen, man, I, I appreciate it. There's a lot of, a lot to unpack there for sure. <laughs> and I, I know it's not, uh, it's not easy to do that. And I appreciate you, uh, you, you sharing up. I got a ton of notes. Um, but yeah, you know, man, like first off, I just appreciate, um, you know, the, the work that you're doing now and, and to touch on coaching. I don't know about you, but for me, I enjoy coaching way more than I ever enjoyed playing. And I always tell people the best way that I can describe it is as hockey players, we're all pretty selfish, right? Like we have to be, it's our journey. Like I need to make a team next year. I'm going to camp. I have to do this train. I have to, you know, and it's all about us and our own journeys. And, you know, when it's a, you know, coaching, it's about something so much greater than just ourselves, right? We're helping other people, not just in their trying to be better hockey players, but better people, better humans. That's always my motto with my, my hockey training is building great hockey players, but even better humans. And like, for me, that makes me feel, that makes me feel good to be able to give back. And and I think, you know, it's a, it's a secret, especially when we're talking recovery, when we're trying to uh, find purpose, um, you, you know, especially early on in recovery and in those dark times for me anyways, and for a lot of people, you know, you turn to service work and, and doing things um, for others. And that's, uh, I'm telling you, it's like one of the greatest things we can do uh, to to help us stay on track. And so I'm so glad to hear you're doing that. And, um, you know, for and for someone who, uh, you know, listening to you speak is, you know, a lot of the similarities um, in our stories leading up to not so much the hockey, but just in the way we were feeling at those different times in our life. And, you know, how old are you now? Like you're 22, 22, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think back to when I was 22 and like, I was pretty bad already, like 21, 22, I was doing lots of Coke and E and drinking and kind of on a pretty dark path. Um, and, but people told me, you know, like it, it could get worse. And I thought there's no way it could get worse and fuck, did it ever get worse? It got so much worse. And so I look at you and I'm like, man, you don't, you, you don't have to go through that. And, uh, you know, you can be a leader in the space where, you know, you can certainly hopefully help others, you know, not have to go down some of those dark paths as well. And unfortunately, the the reality is that people are going to go down that path. And so we have to also share our stories to show others who feel hopeless that, you know, there is hope and that there is a way out of those dark times. So, I mean, there's there's a, there, there's just so much there. I'm just so proud of you, man, for uh, like coming to terms with it at such a young age because, you know, so, so many people, right, it, it, this is how it starts. And we've lost way too many who end up, you know, passing away of an overdose doing a drug they never thought they would do. Um, and, it you know, it starts with alcohol and the different things. And so many people, I'm telling you, man, just it, one thing leads to another. So to be able to put the brakes on at your young age of 22 is something that, you know, I admire and respect uh, tremendously. Thanks, man. Oh, I appreciate that. I want to get to uh to a couple comments. Um, people watching uh, Mental Health three six five Elaine Sturk. I don't know if Doug's with her or not, but uh, saying hello, Brady and Tanner. What's up, Elaine? Um, Danny Cassie, all the way down in the Philippines. He's my old, one of my old skills coaches. He's watching. Says yes, sir. Let's go, bro. Uh, what's up, Danny? 
Uh, we won't get to all of them. I'll get to the rest at the end of the show here, but we'll do a couple more. Uh, Jenny Matthews says, so awesome, so inspiring. Jenny, thank you for watching and coming by. Uh, Baldy's watching, saying, what's up? What's up, Baldy? Um, Jackie Herner, sh Herner sharing, concussions are serious. I had one last year falling out of my family's SUV, and my mind slash eyesight hasn't been the same since, and my eyesight is already terrible. But I've gotten worse since the concussion. I'm sorry that happened to you, Jackie. And, and you know, that's just uh, another example of how serious concussions can be and the long-term effects. And and thank you for sharing that, Jackie. Um, sober is cool. Sober motivation watching. My guy Brad probably saying thanks for the talk, boys. What's up, buddy? Uh, thanks for all you do as well. And the last one here for right now, Danny, my old... Uh, skills coach saying great moments here today boys got me feeling extremely nostalgic definitely reflecting on my days struggling inside and out out of the game being cast into a role of a multi-talented athlete especially my trials and tribulations of mental health and addiction thank you for sharing your story boys and danny gotta get i gotta get this guy on my podcast he's known me since i was a kid he used to train me and went through uh you know similar story to 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 me and you and now lives uh you know down in the philippines doing much better but i love you danny thanks for uh for always supporting um I do have to go to sleep here, but we're not even close to scratching the surface here. We need to at least, we're going to do a part two here, but we need to at least, you know, I want to hear about the rollerblade and how people can get involved and kind of where, you know, what was the deciding factor on this? Why CMHA? Um, you know, that's where the money's going to. Like, why was, why was that the decision to to support them all those questions um that i'm sure you're going to get asked along the way so here you go you might as well get them asked now so when the news people have their microphones in your face you're prepped um so every time i don't know what it is every time i leave my girlfriends something just like out some idea will pop up whether it's oh, i'm gonna make a video about this today or you know I, oh i remember this happened let's talk about this I was leaving and I'm like, fuck, like I got to do something. Like, I just feel like I need to do something for bigger than myself. Like, obviously I do these videos. I need to, I need to do something. And I, I actually had a conversation with Elaine probably two or three weeks ago. And I don't know about you, but I hate working out for myself. I, I'm a guy who I need to work out for something. Yeah. So whether it's, my whole life it was hockey like that's why i worked out hockey 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 and working out for yourself is a lot different than working out for hockey so i uh i thought fuck i should do like i see people that go across canada but i, I don't have the i don't have the time to do across canada because obviously i'm in university and i have a full-time job and you know i can't take that much time off work so i'm like what can i do this summer that's like for a great cause and something bigger than myself i'm like boom let's do this rollerblade thing so then i kind of just like i started looking into different places and i have a couple of friends that run iron mans and i called them i'm like how reasonable would this be to do by august just and they're like well for the normal person four or five months but you are so in tune with your brain and you're so 
crazy, I guess you could say, when it comes to like training and working out, like you could do it by August, no problem. Um, so that's kind of what I decided. I'm like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to go all out. So I'm, uh, I'm going to Calgary to Banff and Banff back to Calgary. And we obviously talked about it earlier in my story that real world problems happen. And there's been a couple of forest fires here in the last couple of months or a month or so. So, um, if that's the case in August, I'm going to be going to Medicine Hat and I'm going to work my way back for however many kilometers it would be equivalent to if I were to go to Banff and back. Um, but no, I pick CMHA just because they're, they're such a well-known organization and they, they do so much great in the community. And I don't know about out there, but here um, they do a great work. And obviously I've seen what Paul O'Burn's doing. He does stuff with them. So I thought they'd be a great uh, network to get in contact with. And I'm a person, I don't like going through email. I'm a phone call guy. So I yeah. sent them an email and, I didn't hear back from them, so I called them and called them and called them. And then finally, after picking all the numbers on the menu, they picked up. And I told the guy, I'm like, hey, I want to do this uh, fundraiser. And he's like, okay, let me bring someone in to listen. And they were all over it, and they loved it. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be doing that in August. I have a goal of 3,500, and right now I'm at. I think last time I checked, I was at 1450 and I announced it six days ago or five days ago, which is nuts. So yeah, my, my first answer to you is I think you're going to raise like 30, 40 or 50 K. And I think that, you know, once you, once you get going on it, I, I think you'll, you'll be able to, you know, jack that number right up. But I mean, there's already a tremendous amount of support um, already. Um, where can, where can people donate to the cause? Like what's the best way to find it? Is it through your social media? What is your social media? Tell people where you're so, where, where they can find it and how they can yeah, get it. So on my Instagram, it's, uh, it's in my bio. I got a link tree link in my bio. And then there's three tabs in that link tree, uh, link. The first one's going to say Morty's marathon for mental health. Click that. It takes you to a Canada helps page and then that's where you can donate and any donation would be greatly appreciated and obviously this is for something bigger than ourselves and i remember um going through what i was going through and brady remembers what he was going through and you know physical pain is temporary but that mental pain that definitely is a lot more long lasting so that's kind of what i'm doing this for and i'm doing this for the people that are struggling right now and the ones we've lost and I want to end this stigma. So, well, that's uh hold on. I love it, man. And like I said earlier, I'm super proud of you. I have your back all the way. And you know, if anybody can, can donate, please do that. Make sure you follow Tanner, Tanner.Mordenson27 on Instagram. Is it the same on, same on uh, on the competitor over TikTok. Yeah, same on TikTok. Yeah, at Tanner Mortensen twenty seven. Check him out. Follow him, and if you can support this cause, and that also extends out to any businesses out there um, that may uh, you know want to contribute. Because I mean, there's going to be other costs involved along the way for you to travel and equipment and different things. So. Um, you know, if you're watching or listening and you feel like you can, uh, you can help in any way, uh, either go, you know, make a donation or reach out to Tanner and, and figure out a way how you can, uh, 
how you can help support his journey. And we'll be sure to, you know, keep everybody posted, whether, you know, certainly on my social media back on this show as, as it comes closer. And, um, you know, I can't make a promise, but I would love to get out there um, and, and skate with you for a day or whatever. Um, depending on when that is, obviously I'm having a baby in August too, and I have some hockey school stuff going on, but you know, to me doing something like that to, to get out there and to support you and, and to help the cause to, you know, it would, uh, it would mean a lot to me to get out there and help you, uh, bring some attention to it and that, man, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be awesome, man. I mean, there's so much, I think that you're going to learn about yourself along the way too. Um, yeah, it's exciting and, you know, I have no doubt that uh, it's going to be a great success. Uh, Jackie Harner saying followed. So there you go. Um, yeah, man, I would love to uh, I would love to get you back on here uh, again soon as we get kind of more updates or maybe when once you're just about ready set to to take off. Do you have the, the set date? Do you have your route plan? Do you need some help with that? Um, like how can how can people help? like get involved to help outside of donations is there any way um i kind of got it all mapped out for the time being i kind of touched on it earlier it's kind of hard to pinpoint a date just because you don't know what's going to happen right as far as the weather and um my two years sober is on the 22nd of august so i think that'd be kind of a that's awesome man a cool cool date to do it but that's kind of why I did that August time frame. It kind of gives me some some leeway if some weather issues or if there's fires, I got to do the Met Hat route. So, um, yeah. It's awesome, man. If you need anything, I got some wheels for you. I told you that. I got a, a box of wheels that, you know, from when I was going to be rollerblading and stuff. And, like, I still roller. I haven't actually a ton this year, but I still rollerblade quite a bit. But, I mean, I got I got wheels and bearings and I'm going to reach out to my people down at Sonic LA, their bearing company, and, and connect you probably with B-Sharp Ottawa. Uh, they, uh, they're they awesome people that would probably want to help get involved. And um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to follow your journey. And, you know, if you ever need anything from me, you can always reach out. You're like me. You're, your phone's always on silent. So, you know, we get back to each other when, when we get back to each other. But thank you so much uh, for, for spending some time with us here tonight. And I look forward to uh, hearing hearing uh, an update on, on your journey here soon, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, man. It was awesome. It was long overdue for sure. <laughs> Proud of you, man. Two years, August 22nd. That's the day after my 36th birthday. So I won't forget that. Recovery is possible, taking your pain, turning it into purpose, making uh, making a difference in the world. So keep it up, buddy. Yeah, you too, Braids. Thanks, bud. All right. All right, that's Tanner Mortensen. Make sure you guys are following him on the gram. That's what the kids call it. I said it to Jenna the other day. I'm like, do they call it the talk? Like, is it the talk? I don't think it is. I think I've shared this story on this show before. It's a funny one. I was in jail. That's not funny. But I was in jail and they give you these little red uh, address books. Because like no one has cell phones or anything. So people exchange information and give numbers and stuff. So this one kid, he was like 21 or 20 or whatever. Funny little like young kid in there like pretty innocent like had some addiction issues got caught up in some stuff but like a pretty just like a great great kid that had some issues 
anyways, he's like, he's like, I want to stay connected with you. And I haven't, I've talked to him once since I've been out, by the way. But he's like, I want to stay connected with you. He's like, give me your, uh, give me your red book. And so he writes down his name. He writes down his number. And then something else. And I'm like reading it out. And I read it out loud. I'm like, one G. And then I said, like, I think it's married to the hustle. I'm outing him right now on my show, but that's it. I think that's his Instagram. It's like, what is one G married to the hustle? He's like, man, he's like, how old are you? He's like, that's IG, man. That's Instagram. That's my Instagram, not one G. I was like, oh my God, right? It was like so embarrassing. I had no idea. I was not on Instagram really back then. It was just, I'll never forget that story for the rest of my life. Jesse Astle is texting me again. Looking forward to seeing him. Uh, Vancouver, if you're watching this live or if you're listening to this and it's before, it's a date today. I think it's the 22nd. So Monday will be what? Or Thursday will be, man, I'm terrible at math. What's Thursday? That's four days away. 26. I have to double check. No, it's the 25th. That's how bad at math I am. The 25th of May, 2023. I'm gonna be downtown Vancouver, East Hastings Street, the place where I was homeless. I visited there a few times every time I go back home so far. And every time I can, I make sure that I go down there and I give back to those in need because so many people kept me alive when I was down there. You wanna talk about rough? I was rough, barely alive. And I would come around the corner and some I literally angel would hand me a bottle of water and a sandwich and it would it would keep me going i hadn't eaten in like 10 11 12 days I hadn't slept like i've talked about it a lot on this show but it was it was, fuck, it was bad and these people were down there handing out you know waters and peanut butter sandwiches and allergy alert for some people but i was always so appreciative of it spent a lot of time talking to them and now to be able to go back down there and do that now that I'm in the position I'm in means so much to me. There's a lot of things in this world that I get to do that mean a lot to me, but that's right at the top of the list. I do not take it lightly. The last time I was home, the last two times I was home, I did it. And both times I ran into friends who were still down there struggling, homeless. Jenna was with, with me the last time. Shout out Andrew Baird came out ran into a couple of my friends, wasn't able to find one of my friends, former Western Hockey League player. He's homeless and addicted down there right now. I'm really hoping that I get an opportunity to run into him. Fingers crossed, if you could say your prayers for that, if we can find him, I'm not going to out him. I'm not going to use his name. The first time I went home, I was walking down there and he said my name and I just like couldn't believe he was down there. I was like, what? So hopefully can track him down. But if you want to come down Thursday, let's say like 1 p.m., schedule to change, follow my Instagram at Mental Health Hockey, go watch my stories for the official date or on Facebook. Let's say 1 p.m. If you want to come down, going to meet at the Union Gospel Mission. It's on the corner of Hastings and Princess Ave. It's a, a place where the homeless people can go get meals and they have the shelter uh, but that's going to essentially be home base. I've reached out to them and they're going to give us a little space to prep and do things. 
place that kept me alive too when I was down there. So to even go back down there and see some of the staff. I went to the safe injection site the last time I was home. The staff remembered me and when I came in there, they're like, can we give you a hug? We saw your story in the Vancouver Sun. You made it, you made it. They were like screaming. I'm gonna, I almost started crying. I'm like, put things into perspective because I lost a lot of friends down there who didn't make it. But it is possible. Doesn't matter how low you go, you can always find your way out. So if you wanna join us Thursday, 1 p.m., Union Gospel Mission. If you're not able to come to Vancouver and you want to contribute, you can reach out to me. Send me an email, brady at pucksupport.com. Brady at pucksupport.com. Um, I've already had a few donations. Thank you very much. The plan is to go to Costco and get as much stuff as we possibly can. I'm going to put down a bunch of money too. Very grateful for the speaking event that I'm going to. It's put me in a position now to you know, to be able to give back even more when I'm there. So that's what I do. If I have money, I put it back out into the universe. I give, I give, I give because there's people out there that need it more than I do. And I really believe in karma. Karma is real, let me tell you. Thank you to everybody who watched the show live. If you're watching on YouTube, please press that like button, subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're watching on Facebook, please share it to your, your wall. Is that what they call it? I don't think it's still your wall, but you know what I mean? If you really love the show and you're watching on Facebook, if you could ditch Facebook and go over to YouTube, that would be even better. Thank you so much. And of course, if you're listening to the audio after the fact, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you're listening on Spotify, please leave a review. And be honest, give me a one star if you think it's a one star. But if you're on Spotify, if you could take a second to give it a review, be very much appreciated. Anyways, I think that's it. I gotta go pack. I got some stuff to do. I got some hoodies to do up, uh, puck support hoodies. Got some new stuff launching. Don't tell Susan, she's upstairs. She loves it when I do that, when I create new stuff. Got some new hoodies dropping probably tomorrow, at least one with some more messages uh, on the back. Dear person behind me messages. Um, yeah, so check that out. If you're wearing puck support in your community, thank you so much. Puck support, pucksupport.com. I think we got a promo going on. You, oh yeah. Promo code BLEAV, 20% off. If you have puck support stuff, send us over your pictures. I've been slacking on the puck support social media, to be honest with you lately, but I'm going to hopefully delegate to somebody to, to help with that moving forward. But once again, thank you to everyone who supported puck support. The goal with puck support, igniting change in mental health and substance misuse by setting the hockey world in motion. We're not blaming hockey. At the end of the day, hockey has caused some issues for me and for a lot of people, but it's also saved my life time and time again. I don't blame hockey. We're just trying to use hockey as the conduit to 
to really bring significant change when we're talking mental health and addiction for sure so thank you if you've been a a part of that if you're a part of the community thank you thank you thank you if anybody out there wants me to come to your town to speak i would love to i've been traveling around a lot lately also you heard it here first i am returning to swift current that's right swift current september the 16th in swift current saskatchewan honored to be returning there for the first time since i left there in not a very good way going there with another mission too we're going to keep that one private for now but if you're in swift current september 16th come check it out i'm going to be speaking really looking forward to that opportunity thank you to danielle we'll just say danielle thank you for and abby for making it happen but yeah, you can email Jenna at PuckSupport.com. Jenna at PuckSupport.com for any speaking inquiries. Hello to all my family and friends in BC. I'll see some of you very soon. Until next time, stay kind, be grateful, and as always, have a great day if you so choose. My life, rookie of the year. Swift as a Bronco, laced up in my gear. Past the pain, when insane, yearning for that buzz. Twelve year journey through the depths of hell. Criminal fentanyl, I struggled, I fell. Abused, confused, as a shadow of who I once was. Can't sleep, rest or sleep. Don't go night or night on me. I need to get my life here back on track. Used to toe deck them like Wayne Gretzky. And now I'm toe decking homeless on Hastings. Intervenous drugs weren't in the gang notes. Wrong kind of how to ride the lightning. Sideboard ignored hot and frightened. Hockey to hell and back was my recovery road. Can't sleep, restless week. Up all night, a dread on a need to get my life here back on track. Emotions drained, I can't stop crying. my reflection, no sense lying. My inspirations are getting ill and bad. Mental health over hockey. Gotta get people talking. Ignite the chain up again, be this real, but the soul is lost. Changes for my former convictions. Now I live for the fuck addiction. I got honest to honor the ones we lost. Finally doing what I'm meant to do. 
Strap on your blade, you can follow me too. Give me your ear to hockey and hear and back podcast. Can't sleep, restless week. Up all night, I can't repeat. I need to get my life here back on track. Emotion strained, I can't stop crying. Except my reflection, no sense lying. My inspiration's hockey to kill and 